0: got you there got you, got got you there with Got there got you there Got there got you there
1: Today on What Got You There, we're joined by Dave Meltzer. Dave is the CEO of Sports One Marketing, which is one of the world's leading sports and entertainment marketing agencies. He co-founded this with Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. Prior to Sports One Marketing, he was the CEO of the world's first smartphone, the PCE phone, and he later became the CEO of the world's most notable sports agency, Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Lee Steinberg is what the movie Jerry Maguire was based off of. Dave is also an award-winning humanitarian, international public speaker, and best-selling author. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suneva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and one of the cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Dave, thanks for joining us on What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. So one thing I love to ask my guests is, how do you start your day?
0: Well, I start my day at 4 a.m. every day. And if I'm on the East, I'm on the West Coast. So if I'm on the East Coast, that starts at 7 a.m. If I'm in London, that starts at 10 a.m. And that's about as far as I push trying to stay on the exact same schedule. And I start it with 20 minutes of meditation. Uh, Every single day, I start my day by... Connecting to that which inspires me, getting a peaceful mind and getting clarity, balance, and focus for my day, which brings a lot of confidence, which allows for the laws of attraction to work in my favor.
1: So, how long have you had that meditation practice?
0: Oh, that was a great question because uh, I, I started when I was in law school. It's when I realized I needed to have some sort of practice because what would happen is I'd wake up at four a.m. And I'd have all this nervous energy and I literally by six o'clock when most people were waking up or seven, I would have already exhausted myself. Everything had grown arms and legs, even little things like doing my laundry seemed like it was going to be a huge obstacle, void void or shortage in my day. Uh, And so uh, as I started to to work, I I at least woke up at four uh, instead of doing that when I was about 25 and then uh, at 30. I started to uh, meditate, which was about 11 years ago.
1: Okay, great, no, I love that morning routine. I've noticed when I uh, do some meditation, some breath work in the morning, it really slows things down and helps me have a more successful day. So for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, you wanna just give a brief background on yourself?
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, I started my career in technology, Uh, worked for one of the world's largest legal publishers who back in the early, early 90s, put everything online. And, uh, we were blessed to be bought by Thomson Reuters for 3.4 billion in 1995, uh, which set my career off in a different direction. Instead of being a lawyer, uh, who sold legal research, I really branded myself as a technology guy and built my career through the big technology boom into being CEO of Samsung's first manufactured convergence device, which is now known as a smartphone called the PC dash e-phone. And, uh, through that, you uh, was blessed uh, at the time to, to make a lot of money, uh, and so I retired. I used to tell people that, uh, you know, I left. Uh, the truth is, you know, looking back, they forced me out. The company got too successful, too big, and I didn't have the competency or capability to build that company to the multi-billion-dollar and uh, you know second-largest manufacturer of phones in America. Uh, but uh, I left, and and they paid me well, which was made me really happy. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, through that, I, uh, surrounded myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. And I actually ended up losing everything. And that's when I met Lee Steinberg, uh, the most notable sports agency, uh, agent in the world that most people know from the movie, Jerry Maguire. Uh, he co-produced that with Cameron Crowe and, uh, Lee made me his CEO about six months into my, uh, job as chief operating officer. And so I ran the most notable sports agency where I met Warren Moon, the Hall of Fame quarterback. He and I, about seven years ago, spun off our own marketing arm specifically to leverage the $2 billion in management that Lee had. So what we do at Sports One Marketing is we bring all the right people, the inner inner circle to different projects, specifically to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun.
1: I mean, there are so many things I want to jump into. I love how humble you were talking about. You essentially brought the smartphone to the U.S. here, and you kind of stumbled upon that. And then you go to be working with the top sports agent in the world. And I would love to know how you kind of got in on his inner side and and negotiated your contract there. And then what you mentioned you're doing now with Warren Moon and Sports One. So, so many things I want to talk about. But first off, how do you go from uh, your lawyer path to then launching the smartphone in the U.S.? You know, uh, it's what I teach that our careers and
0: our businesses evolve and that we have to be aware and open to opportunities. So when I got out of law school, I had a a critical decision to make. Uh, I was offered a job to litigate an oil and gas, uh, which was my specialty maritime law. I went to Tulane law school, which was the top maritime law, uh, law school in the country. Uh, They taught both civil and common law down in Louisiana, and uh the other job offer was in the internet you know sell selling legal research online and so i asked my mom for advice and she was my trusted advisor at the time and so i said mom should i be a real lawyer or should i work in the internet and my mom actually said and this is early early 90s she said dave you need to be a real lawyer you work (laughs) so hard you need to be a real lawyer because this internet thing this internet thing is a fad (laughs) <laughs> but I, I, I learned a valuable lesson for everyone out there, but is that just because somebody loves you and I will tell you, my mom probably loves me too much and has been lying to me for years of how wonderful I am. But honestly, you know, I learned a very valuable lesson just because somebody loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. And a lot of times we end up resenting them uh, when they give us advice, when we're asking for advice from people that may not have the core competency or capabilities or situational knowledge about what we're asking about. You know, we have to be very careful just because someone cares about us or loves us, you know, doesn't mean they're gonna give you good advice. So I ended up taking the job in the internet. I ended up selling legal research online, one of four people, a, a product called Westlaw. And that company ended up, like I said, you know, uh, exiting for $3.4 billion, which skyrocketed in my career uh, into the wireless space as I branded myself a technology guru from the early 90s. Uh, Accenture hired me to run a middleware company called EveryPath. I was a director there where I met the guys from Samsung and Motorola and Nokia. And uh, because I was a charismatic young technologist with over a decade of experience in technology, uh, they felt I'd be a perfect candidate to be a young CEO uh, back in the internet boom days. So that's how a lo- oil and gas lawyer ended up being <laughs> a key executive of a technology company.
1: No, that's incredibly impressive. And then, what you're talking about with your mom giving you that advice? How have you transitioned now that you're more experienced in your career? When you're thinking of a new opportunity, who do you reach to for advice? That's a great question. So I always have three mentors, uh, and you know I
0: read a book, Ben Franklin's autobiography, and he said the best thing you can do is ask for help. In fact, the way I lost all my money was that. My arrogance and my ignorance uh, allowed me to, you know, do things thinking that everything that I did in the past was successful. So therefore, any new venture that I would take on, like owning a golf course or being a real estate guru, uh, would be successful as well. Uh, So what I have uh, utilized in my career now is to take three mentors, people that sit in the situation that I would like to have. And it could be an emotional, professional, or personal situation, but I have different mentors uh, that allow me to ask for help. And so therefore, I don't have to pay the dummy tax uh, that I paid uh, in the past You know, by trying to create my own learning curve and accelerate my own learning and situational knowledge. I actually leverage theirs. And it's amazing how many mentors I have that really are more uh, grateful for me asking for help. And, you know, I always offer my help as well, but it has accelerated my career for any new venture. If I was, you know, for example, obviously there's this social media phenomenon, uh, and so many people are trying to figure it out. Uh, not me, you know, I went directly to the guy that I think's the best out there. I went to VaynerMedia, a guy named Gary V, you know, and I asked Gary V for help. I said, look, you know, this is, I want to do this, show me how this works and, and, and please mentor me. And then I asked him, you know, what can I help you with? And, you know, obviously they have some sports interests and he wants to buy the jets. And so I've offered my help to mentor him on facilitating, you know, sports consulting. And he has helped me in an enormous way to understand, you know, social media and marketing.
1: Hmm. So you mentioned dummy tax. I know you write about that in your book. You want to describe dummy tax for my listeners? Yeah, <laughs> it's one of my favorite terms. Uh, in life, we, we make mistakes. And in
0: fact, if, if we're always living in the learning zone, which I try to do, you know, I, I gear my life that I'm making mistakes every day. Uh, the, the, those mistakes cost us a, a, a fee, Right, it's either an emotional, an actual money fee. You know, all the mistakes that we made. You know, if we look back as a Monday morning quarterback, you know, it'd be easy to buy and sell real estate uh, in the things that we do. But we don't have that luxury. So I call that fee uh, could be emotional. It could be you know a physical value of money. I call that situational knowledge experience. A, a dummy tax, right? This, gosh, if I only knew, I wouldn't have lost that $100 million, right? That's a huge dummy tax to pay.
1: Hmm. Interesting. No, I, I love that concept. And I also love how you kind of threw in your relationship there with Gary Vee. And you have such a unique network. You want to talk about how you create a network like that? Oh, yeah. You
0: know, it's really simple. People ask me all the time because my number one asset in my life is I have extraordinary relationship capital. I am in the inner, inner circle. I have one degree of separation uh, from almost anyone from the president of the United States down to the, probably the guy that picks up my garbage, uh, which I am consider equal in my life and, and some more important than others. Uh, but I personally believe that you build your network by being of service. So I shifted the paradigm of value in my life. Instead of trying to take things or get things from people, I simply live by two words that sit on my nightstand and around my office every day, and those two words are radical humility. Hmm. Um, uh, radical humility is the key and the essence of my life of being of service and asking people what I can do for them and also asking for help. Uh, and, but that shift in the paradigm of waking up every morning in my meditation and seeing how I can be of value creating a void, not for me to fill, but for the universe to fill. And the universe is efficient, effective, and statistically successful. So I know that phrases like, the more I give, the more I get, or if I give, I get 10 times back. uh, You know, those are just indicative of how efficient, effective, and statistically successful the universe is of bringing us what we want when we give value to others and be of service.
1: You have such profound thoughts, and, I can't imagine the young Dave had these thoughts. Was it once you lost everything that you started to transition into not more spiritual, but just understanding the bigger picture in life? That's a great question. So I, I, my
0: mom, even at a young age, helped guide me. And so, uh, you know, the mentors that I had at a young age were great philosophers. And one of those philosophers was Descartes. And he had, you know, saying, I think therefore I exist. Um, and you know, he, he, though, I, you know, my goal in life when I was young was to be rich and there, and the reason I wanted to be rich was that, you know, I grew up in a family with six kids, five boys and a girl, a single mom, a teacher. So you can imagine, you know, how much money we had. In fact, a great day for me was going to McDonald's and and sharing a few orders of French fries in a bowl, right? That to me was like, you know, Ruth Chris on steroids. It was such a luxury. (laughs) Um, but you know, for, for me, these philosophers were my mentors. And, you know, I took on this uh, attitude when I was young, which was completely divergent from the one I have today, which was that the mind, body, and soul were separate, that happiness could be derived from money. Now, I will tell you, I believe that money buys uh, about 90% of what can make us happy. But what really makes us happy is the other 10%. And that's the truth. And so I started not uh, attaching my happiness to an outcome. For example, when I'm rich, I'll be happy. When I graduate law school, I'll be happy. When I am a millionaire, I'll be happy. You know, wh- when I get married, I'll be happy. When I have my first kid, I'll be happy. When that kid graduates high school, I'll be happy, which is actually happening today, by the way. No, oh, congrats! Um, out of my my oldest is graduating high school, but you know, I used to attach everything to some sort of outcome, and that philosophy doesn't work when you just try to provide value. And so, what aligned you know, as I, and uh, it, it, it's funny because I will tell you that it wasn't losing the money. It was my wife that changed my direction. So before I lost all my money, you know, I was acting like a jerk. And my wife pulled me aside and said she wasn't happy and, you know, threatened to leave me and told me I better go back and take stock in who I was, uh, who I am at the current time and what I wanted to become. And when I did that, it was two years previous to me losing everything. The, the hardest part for me was I started living a principled value-based life. And two years into reengineering my philosophies, as you say, and, and looking at things by enjoying the pursuit of my potential, right? That was happiness to me. Enjoying the pursuit of my potential, using imagination and principles to live an inspired life and action principles to use an efficient, effective, and statistically successful life. But what occurred was my wife gave me this wake-up call who means everything to me. And two years into it, I was losing everything. And, and, and the universe was testing me. And in fact, my wife got nervous. And I, 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 I confronted her one day because I heard her tell her uncle she wasn't sure if I could pull us out of that. And I said, there is no worry. There is no worry because I'm living... Toward towards the truth. I'm trying to vibrate faster. You know, I, I understand this all. There's nothing to be afraid of. These are all the consequences of the transformation that has to occur. And, you know, I told her I was a millionaire nine months out of law school. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anything. I never really had a real job. Why do you think it's going to take me more than nine months to make that money back? And I'll tell you, it took me less time to make that money back because I see things at a higher vibration, closer to the truth. And I learned how simple it is to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun.
1: Man, I can only imagine that two year process where it seems like on your spiritual level and your relationship level, everything seems to be going well. But then that money side of things, how do you still stay so focused to what your new goal is in life during that time? Because I'm thinking from a young entrepreneur's perspective who's listening to this and, and they want to attempt something and they've got the right mind and right focus, but maybe their spouse is thinking that things aren't going the correct way. How do you still stay motivated and going after your goal there?
0: You know, and it, it stems to uh, four things. The first is gratitude. Uh, gratitude gave me and gives others perspective. Uh, gratitude makes my past Completely wonderful. It doesn't allow me gratitude to stumble over any speed bumps behind me. Uh, Gratitude makes my present even better than the past. And gratitude, most importantly, makes my future even brighter. The second thing uh, is empathy. Uh, Empathy to me is not sympathy because I can't feel bad enough to make someone feel good. I can't feel, you know, can't be poor enough to make someone rich. I definitely can't be sick enough to make somebody healthy. Uh, But empathy is much more powerful. Empathy is forgiveness. And once I learned that there's only one person to forgive, and that person is me, and when I learned I could only forgive myself because I can't give what I don't have. And so that forgiveness allowed me to live in radical humility, allowed me to give forgiveness to others, to live outside of my ego, which is driven by the need to be right, the need to be offended, the need to be uh, you know, superior or inferior or separate. All of these different needs that wasted my energy, empathy freed me and gave me peace. The third one was accountability. Uh, through the process, we have to be accountable, which means we live above the line. We don't live below the line in blame, shame, and justification. We live above the line in accountability, which above the line means we only have to ask two questions of everything that was happening in my life during those two years and for any young entrepreneur in their life uh, during during their periods of challenges, expansion, or doubt. Uh, accountability, the two questions you want to ask is, number one, what did I do to attract this into my life? And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? So even the most ludicrous scenarios, like sitting at a stop sign, someone texting behind you, slamming into you, people get confused. They're like, how the heck am I accountable for someone slamming into the back of me while they're texting? I tell them they're getting confused. They may well be a lawyer because they're thinking liability, not accountability. I'm not telling you Don't look to see who's liable for those damages. California laws, federal laws, you know, tort laws all exist to help protect and see who should pay the damages. Don't call your, you know, don't not call your insurance company. Sorry. You know, don't tell the judge you're accountable, you know, find out who's liable, but accountability is much more powerful, vibrates much faster. It asks you, what did I do to attract this or cause this to happen? And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? And then finally, the fourth thing that I utilized was effective communication. My entire life, the effective communication that I used was outwards towards other people. I felt that I could motivate them, make changes, do anything outwards and through action principles, discipline and strategy, awareness. But when I learned that effective communication happens two ways, it happens up first and then out, meaning up towards that which inspires me. So through meditation, through understanding my values, my personal values, experiential values, giving values, receiving values, through different guideposts of focus that I have. So I have that clarity, balance, and focus which brings on confidence that puts me in the zone. And then understand the value and shift of value paradigm where I use all my free will not to take things but to give and get out of my own way. And then that connects me to that which inspires me. It can be God, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, Joseph Smith. It doesn't matter, it can be the 12th man if you're a Seahawks fan, I don't care. But whatever (laughs) inspires you, when you're in spirit, you feel good and you're happy, you're in the flow, things will happen more rapidly and accurately for you. Then your actions will allow you to manifest anything that you desire rapidly and accurately. And so those four principles, gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication, Those four principles are what made and got me through, and not only through those two years, but have accelerated and propelled me to a level that I never thought that I would reach, both in economic success, but more importantly, in happiness and humanity, philanthropy. Uh, And I am just so excited every single day to drive to work and so excited to drive home uh, to see my family as well.
1: Oh, man, I love that. And thank you for sharing those four principles. I know uh, preparing for this call, I've been trying to implement those and really take accountability into those and make sure I'm working on those every single day. So I want to jump into your time at Steinberg Sports. So is it true within 48 hours of meeting Lee, he ended up hiring you for the job? Yeah. So Uh, (laughs) I mean, I I need to hear about that. I mean, you must have set such a profound impact on him for him to make that call right away. You know, it
0: was amazing. Well, number one, I wasn't looking for a job. So, uh, you know, I was going to start a new job. I had lost a tremendous amount of money. I'd actually even uh, was losing my house. My wife was terrified. So she told me, you know, you got to go back to work. So I had been offered a job uh, with TELUS uh, out in Europe to be the president of their data division since I had extraordinary experience in data. Uh, and, you know, I, a friend called and asked me if I would represent him. Uh, it's a friend from high school and he had a, a reality show with magic Johnson called showtime. So he asked if I would represent him and, you know, I said, sure, but you know, I'm not a good lawyer. I've never really practiced law. I'm a technology guy. He said, Dave, you are one of the best negotiators I've ever met. And I'm going to need you because Lee Steinberg is representing the production. So oh, just Lee Steinberg, <laughs> you know, Jerry Maguire. Wow. Okay, well, that really excited me because you know, I'm a I'm a Jewish lawyer that grew up you know playing football and baseball and playing in college. And you know, I, I'm a frustrated five foot seven, hundred and fifty pound ex non non-jock. <laughs> non-jock. Uh, so I really wanted to meet Lee Steinberg. That that was my dream. You know, it it was just as was exciting to meet Lee Steinberg as it was Joe Montana or Warren Moon. So um I meet Lee. I'm not looking for a job and I will tell you why I got the job so quickly uh, is number one, Lee understood he's a visionary that the technology of sports was the future. And so my extensive background in technology with content, uh, with the access and the carriers, as well as the different mediums and venues, he saw as extraordinary. And I think I articulated uh, you know, to him that cross-pollinization and value of all of that technology background that I had just through our conversations about the programming and production, uh, with magic. But the real reason I think he hired me, uh, you know, I I had the credentials. I was a lawyer, a shitty one, excuse my language, (laughs) not a very good one. I, I, I was a great technologist, a fair businessman. Uh, but the reason he hired me is that Lee Steinberg is the most like my younger brother. He's the person that's most like my younger brother I've ever met. So my brother's 14 months younger than I am. He's an extraordinary genius. He speaks six languages. He uh, was a national merit finalist in high school, never got a B, never got a B at Harvard, was summa cum laude, biochem major in Harvard, who then got swayed away by Lex Wexner from Limited and Spree to be a rabbi, uh, got a fellowship to go to rabbinical school, Rabbinical school was too easy, so he decided to get a PhD in social ethics. Uh, you know, the list goes on. But my brother, as a photographic memory, uh, he's an extraordinary intellect like Lee. And they're, you know, they vibrate really fast, and they're very difficult to communicate with. I, because he was so much like my brother, and I lived and shared a room with, with that brother for almost 18 years, that I could communicate more effectively with Lee than anyone and make him feel more comfortable than anyone he ever met. From the minute he met me, he felt comfortable as if we were brothers because he was almost you know, a 40-year-old older twin of my brother and I knew exactly how to communicate with him because I had been conditioned uh, for that moment of my life. And I also believe in the laws of attraction that there are no accidents, that these coincidences, the re- everything happens in the right way at the perfect time. And, uh, you know, waking up in the morning at 7 a.m. and seeing a text from Lee Steinberg, can you please come up to my office? I want to talk to you about something, uh, was one of the most exciting <laughs> text messages I've ever gotten.
1: Oh, that's an incredible story. Um, so, how did the negotiation go for your friend? did you, did you win that one? Yeah.
0: Well, it got really weird because in the interim, I'll I'm hired, right? So I'm negotiating against myself. Um, so, uh, the, the, the magic actually ended up, uh, you know, pulling out, out of the deal. And so I never got to negotiate it. The, the more interesting story though, that I find is that imagine negotiating with Lee or against Lee, whatever he calls it, I call it with Lee. For my own uh, compensation package, to be at that time was chief operating officer of the most notable sports agency in the world. Uh, You know, and to learn right off the bat, right, because I didn't have someone representing me, I was negotiating directly with Lee Steinberg on my package to be the chief operating officer. And it was a lesson to behold. And even through the experience of negotiating with him and understanding, you know, how fast he vibrates and how much situational knowledge and experience and technique that he has in negotiation. Uh, and I will tell you, because you, you, you probably want to know, you know, what, what did I learn? I'll tell you the three things I learned from Lee and it's in my book. Number one, always be fair 2 don't negotiate to the last pennies and three, don't do business with jerks. He used the, the, the D word. That's a sporting <laughs> good story, but yeah, don't use, don't do business with jerks.
1: Oh, no, that's great. I mean, so you really are just thrown in there in the lion's den with Lee having that negotiation. I mean, anything you can recommend besides those three, um, tips right there for someone who's looking to negotiate a salary, negotiate a new job, anything like that. How do you prep going into that? Absolutely.
0: So there's a few things that I do. Number one,
1: you're, if you're
0: not ready to walk, you're not ready to negotiate. All right. That's the first rule for me. It, 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 you got to detach yourself from the outcome. Uh, every great negotiation, uh, you, you, you have to get at least three no's. So when I'm negotiating, uh, I always get three no's. And when I finally get, it's like wringing a towel. You know, if, if you wet a towel and you squeeze and water comes out, you keep squeezing until no water comes out. And then you squeeze like two extra times. That's a great analogy for negotiation. You want to keep squeezing the towel until you get. Three no's, you know, the, the third no, and then you you accept it as being fair. Uh, but you want to get the most out of, of that value. Uh, you you know also trust the universe and provide as much value as you can. So don't start on asking, start on giving, and 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 doing that as well. Um, make yourself equal before you make yourself better. So you know if the requirements of the position or the negotiation has requirements, meet those requirements and then make yourself better uh don't try to oversell back and sell or in any way divert from the truth Uh, meet those expectations and uh you know in the end in the negotiation prioritize by your values of what you want so make a list saying these are my personal values these are my experiential values these are my giving values and these are my receiving values and then prioritize them accordingly Knowing that nobody has a perfect balanced life, it's not 25% personal, 25% experiential, 25% giving, and 25% receiving. Note that those are prioritized and weighted, and that you're going to have to give up some things in a negotiation, and you want to give up the things that are less priority than the greater priority. And so being able to do that in negotiation is an extraordinarily beneficial thing, not because you're getting more. It's because that, you know, another man's, you know, trash is another man's treasure. And so when you've prioritized certain things, you may be able to provide them things that have no value to you, but are extraordinarily valuable to them and vice versa. And unless you have a list according to the values. Now, one of the things I want you to realize in negotiation too, is most people have no problem giving, they have a problem receiving. And so they have a problem of understanding and having and carrying an energy that they're worthy. And so although it's ironic that we spend ninety some percent of our time worrying about what we're going to receive, we actually prefer to give, prefer to create value. And more importantly, get in our own way in receiving and that if I asked you to bankrupt one of your four values, whether it's your personal experiential giving or receiving 99% of the world, they would not bankrupt their personal values, their health, their love, their integrity. They would not blank their mind. And give up all their experiential values their situational knowledge their education their relationship capital they would not give up their legacy their reputation they would not give up what everything they've done for others in giving everyone would bankrupt their financial or their receiving values because they know it's a renewable resource but yet we spend 99 percent of our time worrying about what we're going to get Instead of really understanding our values and prioritizing them appropriately, and more importantly, negotiating in that manner as well.
1: Wow. Such great knowledge there. I've got a negotiation coming up this afternoon. So without any doubt, I'm going to be rewinding that, listen to that over and over again. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. I'm curious, is there anyone in the sports or entertainment industry that you would love to negotiate against, but you haven't yet?
0: (laughs) So first of all, I don't negotiate against anyone, right? Because that would be in the antithesis of my value-based leadership or, or my compassionate capitalism. Uh, type of attitude. Uh, but the people I would like to negotiate with, uh, I'd love to negotiate with Warren Buffett. Uh, you know, I think th- uh, he's an extraordinary Elon Musk, you know, all the compassionate capitalists out there. I actually would love to have the opportunity to negotiate with Donald Trump, uh, because I think he's an expert, uh, in, in his core competencies. And I think that by negotiating with Donald Trump that I could find, uh, and teach him through, uh, example of some differentiating and different ways, uh, to get his point across, uh, as well to effectuate some of his better
1: ideas. I mean, that would be incredible seeing that you guys should set that up a one-on-one live broadcast of that negotiation. What I would love to hear, um, and I'm sure my listeners too, any awesome stories from your time at Steinberg sports. I mean, with all the athletes you guys dealt with and then working with Lee. Yeah,
0: well, you know what? I got two. So the first would be uh, my favorite uh, client, and he just graduated medical school last week. Uh, So I I was so excited to represent a kid named Myron Roll. Uh, (laughs) Myron Roll was the number one high school recruit into college. He had graduated uh, Florida State in three years as a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, Obama was the president, and I saw him as the Obama of football, you know, here's this. In, in fact, it was funny because I, I had three daughters at the time. I, I didn't have a son. Uh, when I, when I represented Myron and I joked around with him, I said, Myron, can I adopt you? I said, <laughs> I got all these girls. I said, you're, you're like this perfect guy, you're, you know, road scholar. You're, you know, this inc- incredible football player. Uh, he was going to be a, a, a first round draft pick. You know, he was an all American at Florida State. Just an incredible kid. You know, when I had conversations with him, he used to say, Query, Mr. Meltzer, really polite, right? Mr. Meltzer, queer, he would say, Query, you know, and ask me these really complex <laughs> questions. And he loved to challenge Lee and I intellectually, uh, which was such a rarity, right? I mean, like guys like Marcellus Wiley that went to Columbia, you know, they were terrific to talk to. But this kid was my dream client. Um, ends up. That, you know, we, he took the year off, went to, to Oxford, uh, ends up running a four, seven, <laughs> a four, seven 40. And, and he was so humble like he was just, he was very accountable and always, but you know, he had all these five brothers, all that were Ms as well. And, uh, cause all my kids are M's, right. I called my M and M's all four of them. <laughs> and he had brothers that were all M's and they were just, they, they had their expectations so high and they were, they lived below the line in blame, shame and justification. I mean, at one time, uh, a smart water deal was available and Jennifer Aniston, who was on friends at the time, you know, she signed the smart water deal and his brothers were like, Oh my God, you know, how come you can't iron that deal? He's so much <laughs> smarter than Jennifer Aniston. I'm like, I, I'm smarter than Jennifer Aniston. She's a lot better looking and, uh, also has, you know, millions of followers from friends. Uh, so I think marketing wise, they made a wise decision. Uh, the other thing is when he ran the four seven and took the year off, you know, it damaged his, his credibility in the draft and he went in the sixth round. Uh, it, and it was really the, the reason the story is so important to me, it was the capper to me. Of why I wanted not to be in the sports agentry world after so long with Lee and, and Warren as well, because in the end I, you know, spent so much time, so much money, you know, it was so competitive to get him, so many resources, and in the end he got a thirty thousand dollar signing bonus, uh, with our three percent and all the splits are you know involved, you know, that came to about a six hundred dollar commission. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly worth the time there. (laughs) Then his brothers were mad at me, going, "Dave, how could that get drafted in the sixth round?" I said, "Let me just tell you this, Mordecai." Uh, I said, "Let me just tell you this. To put this into perspective, and and you know, this is probably ten years ago, right, or whatever, when Myron came out. I said, to put it in perspective, I run a faster forty than Myron today." Today, I'm not talking about in college when I ran a, four, a 4.57, right? I run a faster 40 today than Myron does. And you expect me to get them higher in the sixth round? You, It was a miracle. So that, that's uh, one of my favorite uh, agentry stories. <laughs> then the other one is in more of the humility, the big eye, the emotional side. You know, another piece of negotiation advice is people buy on emotion for logical reasons, right? So when I bought my Porsche, you know, I, I mean, I sat there and told my wife what a great Investment it was. We're driving right. right? Porsches, it. <laughs> oh, was right. I I drive a Chevy Volt now. Gotcha. Uh, I live in radical humility, but yeah, it was a convertible cabriolet. And you know, but but people buy. of so my wife buys a dress and tells me, "Oh, but I saved three thousand dollars." I'm like, "No, you spent 2000 <laughs> <Yep. laughs> on a Dress. people are starving in the world, and I. That's all emotion. Um. Well, for me, I monetize the emotional aspect. Of sports. And so I used to own 25% of something called Clarkson Dreammakers. Steve Clarkson's a quarterback guru. We've had from Leinert to David Sills, the youngest kid ever to get a scholarship to USC. We were in Hawaii, Joe Montana, Warren Moon, Lee Steinberg. It's the first time I ever got to meet Joe Montana. And I looked at Joe Montana and I literally, my lips froze, drool came down the side of my cheek. <laughs> I'm looking at him big eyed, just like the guys look at, you know, believe it or not, me or Warren today, right? Oh, Mr. Meltzer, Mr. Moon. I was so nervous. I'm like, oh, Mr. Montana. And I can't believe I said this. I looked at him. I go, oh, Mr. Montana. I go, you're my hero. And Lee and Warren almost fell over in embarrassment. They're looking at me and Lee says very calmly, Dave, I thought I was your hero. And Warren says, I thought I was your hero. And so I looked at all three of them and Joe's smirking and laughing, right? Cause now they've embarrassed the crap out of me. And so I looked at Joe and I said, Joe, I said, you're my white hero. Lee, you're my Jewish hero and Warren, you're my black hero. So I happened by. I, I said, I'm sorry. And I said, Mr. Montana, what a pleasure to meet you. And Joe Montana and I became friends, Nikki and Nate. Nikki actually went to Tulane and played quarterback where I went to law school and where my daughter's going on scholarship Uh, to to college as well. Great, great school, right? I have a great affinity. But Joe, my favorite part of the story is later on, we became such close friends. He, you know, in his inner circle, I'm, I'm sitting there with him and he asked me, Dave, what do you think? He goes, a lot of quarterbacks, you know, they like to push off that left foot and turn real quick right off the snap. I like to lean straight back like Dan Fouts and use my natural energy to stay balanced. What do you think the better drop is? And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, Joe Montana is asking me advice or my opinion about not only football, right, but actually about something to do with a quarterback. Joe <laughs> Montana. So those two are like my mo- most unique uh, stories. One more quick one if you have time. Oh, please, uh, I'd love it. <laughs> all right, my, fir- my first literally week uh, at Lee's uh, Lee was supposedly sick later on. I found out that he was actually at rehab, uh, and had been arrested for public drunkenness. Uh, you know, Lee has a public drinking problem. He went public with, with, with it and he's recovering, uh, a recovering alcoholic. And we're so proud of him. And he's doing so well, as you know, with Mahomes and, and all the kids that he's representing. But, uh, at this time it was the lower period of, of Lee's life. Well, I had brought in a deal, uh, to buy the Rams. And and this is a while back. So Lee was the president of Save the Rams. Uh, Georgia Georgia Frontier uh, kids had owned the Rams. Uh, they we had a nine hundred million dollar financing with Franklin Financial to buy the Rams. We were talking to John Shaw, the president of the Rams. This is a really big deal. So Lee's not available, and I have to do the negotiation. And so I literally asked Lee. I called him and said, "Hey, can I call Jeff Morad, who had my job before me?" and had purchased the Diamondbacks uh, because Lee had sold the baseball practice for about 90 million. Uh, But can I call Jeff and have him do this negotiation and help me? I've been out over my skis before. I live by radical humility. I need help. And that's when Lee gave me that great advice. Dave, you only need to know three things. I don't know if he was sober when he told me or not. (laughs) Always be fair. Don't negotiate to the last penny and don't do business with dicks. And that's a quote. And I live by that. It was one of the coolest moments of my life. Uh, Went on. Unfortunately, the financing of that uh, didn't go through as 2008. uh, All financings were a little bit difficult, but it was a really cool experience to negotiate to buy a football team uh, with all of those great names and to be thrown to the wolves, you know, right out of, you know, retirement and being a real estate guy and an entrepreneur. All of a sudden I'm on the phone with the inner, inner circle of the NFL and buying an NFL team. It was an extraordinary experience, and uh, I always am indebted to Lee for all that he's taught me, both good and bad.
1: Those are some incredible stories. I mean, I could I could, I could, could stand here all day just listening to you tell these, and one thing I didn't see in your bio is I never knew you were the private coaching quarterback uh, for Joe Montana, so that's, that was interesting to hear on that one. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna add that to my bio, Bradley, you got that? <laughs> yep. yeah. And he, That that reminds me real quick, funny story. One time, you know how the news guys are funny. We were in Arizona, and they twisted and turned my book launch into me being the personal life coach to not only, uh, shoot, uh, the Arizona quarterback, the Kurt Warner, right, the Hall of Famer. Uh, But they they made me out in this news special, Dave Meltzer, life coach to Kurt Warner, and the rest of the Arizona Cardinals that helped them with the Super Bowl. And oh my God, I'm like on the phone going, pull that down, please pull that
1: down. (laughs) Oh no, that is fantastic. So one thing you mentioned that you love how Lee's a visionary and you said, I think technology of sports is the future. I mean, we've seen such tremendous change in sports. Any trends you think you see upcoming?
0: Oh, absolutely. So it's the combination Uh, the integration that is the, is the trend. So everyone's kind of sticking to whether it's social media, AR, VR, you know, all types of different access. Um, the, the, the trend is this, is that people want a live experience at home and they want a home experience live. And that's the trend. All the different things that apply to that are content, right? What kind of content can we give that gives live content at home? and home content live? What kind of access can we give people access at home or access live? Right. And then finally, what type of venues do we use in the technologies that are combined with all of these? What kind of venue or mediums do we use so that people can have live experiences at
1: home and home experiences live? Hmm. So you mentioned that access and any in-depth knowledge into what that access looks like in the next three to five years?
0: Yeah, it's, the, it's, a, it's a combination of technologies uh, where you have access to uh, not only live content, but virtual content, uh, augmented content, uh, real-time polling, interactive content. All of these things will be combined. Uh, so the facilities will be more experiential and smaller. Uh, so you'll see the stadiums that'll be built uh, that will require less people to be there you still you know you're still 30 40,000 people strong sold out every game but it'll be more experiential when you're at the game so I'll give you an example of some cool stuff that I know is coming right you'll let's say you're in the nosebleed corner section well with your handheld you'll be able to Take your phone and get an instant view from any place in the stadium that you want. So if the play is coming to the far left corner and you're up in the far right corner, you know, in the nosebleeds, uh, you actually can just click the, the seat you want to view from and you'll be able to watch that play live while you get the excitement of everyone cheering from that seat, from that perspective of being the best seat in the house every single play. And then you're able to pull, whether they're going to run or pass, you're going to be able to bet on it. And all of these different things are going to make, you know, not only football, but baseball, hockey, basketball, and even lacrosse, the greatest sports and the best way to interact and be emotionally tied to this great thing that we call sports.
1: Wow. I mean, that's what I was hoping to get out of this question. I I love your knowledge and and being able to see the future and know what's coming next. I mean, that just sounds fascinating with everything going on with AI, VR, uh, the technologies today. It's going to be exciting to see the progress of sports. What about some other sports? I think it's what's the statistic now? Golf. They're closing a golf course a day. Any sports, um, whether it be UFC, anything like that, that you see that's going to kind of step up and be maybe a top four sport?
0: Oh, for sure, esports. Esports. I know it's sad. For most, yeah, I know it's sad for most people. But more people watched the League of Legends Championship last year than the NBA Finals, and it was the best NBA Finals that were ever created. Uh, esports. Uh, I'm looking deep into it, investing hard into it. Uh, resources. You know, this is the future. Um, the the combination, like I said, of home live and live home. Esports are the future. It'll be the biggest sport. Uh, because it includes all sports, right? Esports will include the NFL, it'll include the NBA, the MLB, NHL, lacrosse. It'll include all the different war games and driving games and everything. And it is interactive and experiential. And it applies specifically not only to the millennials, but whatever we're going to call this next generation of my seven-year-old that's coming up. Uh, super millennials or virtual millennials. I don't know what we're going to call them, but if you don't have your eye on esports and you understand sports, you don't get our business.
1: Wow. Uh, Yeah, I mean, some of the statistics I've seen about just the viewership of that, I was absolutely blown away and fascinated to see the progression there. Um, One thing I want to know about, though, is I've seen across a lot of my guests, they talk about failure. Any huge failures besides the time where kind of things were spiraling downwards? Any failures you've had in negotiation? Anything like that you want to talk about?
0: You know, I have them all the time. Uh, and yeah, I, I really want to stress this to everyone. There, 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 There's no failure of mine that's bigger than another. Uh, the, even when I lost everything, the failure was an accumulation of a variety of failures. So my failures, more importantly, are based off of, very simple philosophies. When when I fail, it's my own ego, uh, number one, that's always in my way. So I need to learn how did I let my ego get in my way? How did I get into my own way? Uh, you know, in that ego, not being humble, uh, being scarce. You know, whenever I'm scarce, uh, it causes failure. It causes shortages, voids, obstacles. When I live in an emotional state, act out of the majesty of calmness. Uh, but I fail and negotiating every day. Uh, and that's not just because I have three teenage daughters, uh, which if you think Lee Steinberg and Dave Meltzer are great negotiators, uh, try negotiating with three <laughs> teenage daughters.
1: I can so, imagine that's difficult.
0: Yeah, I'd rather negotiate with Lee every single day than with my three uh, teenage daughters. I mean, estrogen is one thing, but you put it into an 18, a 16, and a 13-year-old, oh my God, you're talking about a <laughs> rationale of uh, teenage <laughs> You know, mutant ninja turtles. It's a, an incredible, incredible negotiation every day. And so uh, when you talk about failure, uh, I, I talk about a journey and the enjoyment of the pursuit of my potential, the enjoyment of the pursuit of the truth, the enjoyment of the pursuit of that in a business setting, in a personal setting, as a father, as a husband, you know, as, a, as an uncle, as whatever it is, the pursuit as a CEO, as a speaker, an author, as a humanitarian, All of those require me to fail every day and not just negotiating with people, but most importantly, I fail every day in negotiating with myself on how to get out of my own way. How can I improve and live in this learning zone, expand myself, raise my vibration? Because there is only one vibration that vibrates the fastest, and that's the truth. And My philosophy is this, real simply as we finish up, is that I focus on that enjoyment of the pursuit of my potential, the enjoyment of the raising of my vibration, because everything vibrates. And so I know one thing, that I only can be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than me. And so if I can raise my vibration, right, the earth vibrates the slowest, plants, animals, you know, then humans, then sound, then light, and then thought. But if I can vibrate as close as I can to the number one thought that we have that breathes the fastest, which is the truth, if I can vibrate closest to the truth, my awareness rises up. Everything becomes simple. I can see things that nobody else sees. And awareness is such a critical thing for me because that's when I'm present. I can see, oh my gosh, that wasn't there yesterday. I mean, very simple analogies. Have you ever looked for something and then all of a sudden it appears? That's mm-hmm. a vibration. That's an awareness. The same thing with people. Sooner or later, the truth comes out. Wouldn't it be nice to know what people's intentions are? Wouldn't it be nice to know the simple truth and then make your decision based off of whether something's going to go up or down or someone's lying to you or someone's telling you the truth? That's what an awareness does for me. And so that's why failure is an everyday activity. And I only ask myself two questions. What did I do to attract this to myself? And two, what am I supposed to learn from it? Thus increasing the vibration, expanding me even closer to the truth.
1: Wow, Dave. I mean, just so much experience going into that answer. I know my listeners are going to rewind and listen to that one over and over again. Um, So you want to talk a little bit about Sports One Marketing, what you're up to now, how my listeners can stay connected with you?
0: Yeah, that'd be great. So sports one marketing, we got, you know, obviously everything we do has a charitable component or purpose. So the biggest thing that we have is an aggregated marketing platform that provides the capabilities for events, uh, in companies that have memberships. Uh, but, but anyone that wants to give, we have a platform to help raise money and get sponsorship and advertising. And that's the aggregated marketing platform. The second is we have a media company. S one media and we do this really cool thing. Now is we package in, we'll video, you know, speaking engagements, your charitable events, whatever it is, you know, a golf tournament and we'll, we'll videotape that for you. And then the next day provide you with 30 and 60 seconds edited content that you can post and utilize and repurpose for your own social media and for your own marketing needs. Those are my two biggest projects. They're all closely tied to, obviously, charities and purposes that are important. Um, and everybody can reach uh, us at sportsonemarketing.com as well as Dave, D-A-V-E, Meltzer.com. And at Dave Meltzer uh, is a, a great way to reach me as well. I do, do respond personally to everybody,
1: and we love you to reach out. We're happy to help and see how we can be of service. Yeah, some incredible services there. I know a lot of my listeners will be reaching out and they'll love some of those. But uh, Dave, man, this has been incredible. I can't thank you enough and looking forward to following you on your journey. Thank you so much.
0: I look forward to being on uh, again. So anything I can do for you, please let me know. Great, thank you. What got you there with Shondalini? Uh, what got you there with Shondalini? What got you there with Shondalini? Uh. What got you there? What got you?
1: Got you. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.